Today, we are joined by Yusuf, also known as JoeGaza93 on Instagram. He's a nurse, social media activist, and humanitarian. Joe has shared a lot of content with us this past May, especially with respect to the assaults on Gaza. I'm actually getting to know Gaza through you. I'm getting to see the streets that I never saw. I'm getting to see the people that I never met. I'm getting to learn more about where I'm from through your eyes. The issues are clear for the people. We, we are getting a lot of support from the people around the world. The world have to know that all the Palestinians are people who are loving life and loving to live in peace as the rest of the world. Our life is stolen as our land by the Israeli occupation. Every Palestinian is struggling and suffering every day. This is my duty toward my people, just to show the truth, especially in Gaza. This the Palestine part. Palestine part. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram, and you can call me Mikey Intifada if you said ever free Palestine from Hamas. Yeah, they love that one. That's one of their favorite lines. (laughs) It really is. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. We also have a lot of super exciting stuff happening over on Patreon. So if you love the Palestine pod and you want to support the project, please join our Patreon where you get early access to the Palestine pod episodes every week and an additional one to two podcasts per week, including our latest creation that we call the Patreon pod. It's a little bit more laid back, a little bit more casual. We talk about everything from pop culture to politics to Palestine. We also are doing our monthly Zoom happy hours with Michael and myself. So some really exciting stuff. You can find us over there at patreon.com slash Palestine. Today, we are joined by Yusuf, also known as JoeGaza93 on Instagram. He's a nurse, a social media activist, and humanitarian. Joe has shared a lot of content with us this past May, especially with respect to the assaults on Gaza. We've had a lot of you ask us to bring Joe Gaza on the podcast. We're so excited to have him today. Joe, welcome to the Palestine Pod. Thank you for hosting me. It's my pleasure to be in such an oxygen. So, Joe, I I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit better because we see all of the content that you're putting out there from Gaza. You're showing us life on the ground. You're showing us images and videos of Gaza, of the streets of Gaza. I'm actually getting to know Gaza through you. I'm getting to see the streets that I never saw. I'm getting to see the people that I never met. I'm getting to learn more about where I'm from through your eyes. And it's been really incredible to follow you and have access to those images, to those sounds, to those videos. But let's get to know you a little bit better and then we'll get into a little bit of your work and then also your work on social media. So 
can you tell us first, where did you grow up in Gaza and where is your family from originally? Are they from Gaza or are they from the 48 territory? My name is Yusuf Mohammed Mema. I'm from Gaza Strip. I'm living in uh, Sheikh Radwan neighborhood in Gaza, in Gaza city. My grandparents are originally from from the occupied land of 48. They they are from uh, Al Majdal city, which is located in the the south of Palestine, uh, near the the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They were uh, forcibly expelled from their land during the the, the attack on uh, on Palestine by the. The, by the Zionist uh, occupation forces in 1948. They then escaped toward Gaza, lived in Gaza. I grew up and in Gaza in Gaza City. Uh, my family and I uh, living in uh, Sheikh Radwan neighborhood, uh, as I told you. It's one of the most crowded neighborhoods in Gaza Strip. It's located to the west of Gaza. And uh, it contains uh, uh, thousands of, of Gazans living there. I will talk a bit about my neighborhood. It's contained on a dynamic uh, market, which is called the uh, Sheikh Radwan Market. All the people who are living in the neighborhood go there for shopping and stuff like this. This is a brief summary about my neighborhood. I'll speak about myself. I'm a nurse graduated from nursing college in 2013. And uh, in 2016, I, uh, I upgraded my degree and, get, uh, and got uh, a calorie degree in nursing, BA. Uh, and now I'm, I'm now uh, working as a nurse in the Turkish Friendship Hospital in Gaza Strip. Previously, I worked in a Shifa hospital, and now I moved to another hospital. Let's go back a little bit to your family history. You said that the city that your parents and your grandparents are originally from is called Al-Majdal? Yes. So is that yeah. Tiberius? Do you know if in English if that's Tiberius? Because I looked up Al Majdal and it says Tiberius. I think it's called in it's called Ashkelon in Hebrew. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, it's called Ashkelon, but in Arabic it's called Al Majdal, which is popular here. Got uh, it. Many people expelled from Al Majdal city and uh, escaped to Gaza during the. Invasion during the, the Nakba. Yeah, during the Nakba, exactly. They escaped from from their land forcibly, for sure. They came to Gaza. Yeah, I see it. So it's actually very close to Gaza, right? Yes. Yeah, it's, very it's close. not far. It's a few kilometers far, far, far away from Gaza. It's one of those cities that the Zionist project calls buffer cities, basically, because they encouraged Mizrahi Jews to move there and use them as a literal buffer so that the European settlers didn't have to interact as often with Palestinians. And also any like rocket fire that comes to and from initially 
would fall in those cities, in Ashkelon and Ashdod and all of those cities that are close to Gaza? Yeah, the, usually during the the attacks uh, by the Israeli on Gaza, you know, for every action, for every action, there is, there is a reaction. The Palestinian resistance movement using this tool of pressure on the Israeli forces to stop their aggression by firing rockets toward the the nearest settlement to Gaza. So most of the rockets fired from Gaza are falling on this settlement and it is uh, near the border of Gaza. We are not seeking violence, but uh, you know, as I told you, every action, there is a reaction and it is a self-defense. About the self-defense, if we, if we want to talk about this, we are the, the people who have the right in self-defense. Just, just so you know, we fully support Palestinian resistance here on this show. We just did a full episode about the advancements in the rocket science that's happening underground in Gaza. Like, we're big fans. <laughs> uh-huh. Thank you so much. Yeah, most of the world and uh, all of the world must support the Palestinian resistance. So the world does. Yeah. yeah. Most of the world does. Remember that it's only a handful of countries that have a lot of power that don't, but most of the world is on the right side of history. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, the world changed since the the last aggressions in Gaza. The world people starting to walk up and to know the truth about the the violence and the terror Palestinians are living under it. The issues are clear for the people. Honestly, we, we are getting a lot of support from the people around the world, and this is this is a thing make us happy. That's where people starting to walk up and spread the word about the Palestinian case and support it by by all the available ways. And these uh, things are helping the Palestinian in many aspects. We hope, uh, inshallah, one day that that the governments of the the big countries will take an action that will help the Palestinian on on the ground and uh, change their hard reality. Yeah, you were telling me in May that you were getting so many messages of support from people, like thousands of messages from people all over the world. Were you surprised at the amount of support? Uh, Yes, to be honest, I didn't expect that I will receive this this amount of support. I was just... uh, a normal person having an Instagram page sharing his daily daily life or, and some stories. I'm not active. But I um, like I I wasn't active uh, so much on the on Instagram, but it, during the the aggression, the followers number like jumped from one k to thirty k, and this was surprising me so much. I wasn't uh, accepting that one day that. That this will happen. People starting to to follow me, to follow me and supporting me, sending lots of messages and many messages. And uh, I wasn't able to reply because I was busy during the the, the attack in in sharing the the news from Gaza and in my working in Ashfa as a nurse. But uh, I'm really appreciate every every single person sending uh, a support and love message to me. Thank you from the heart for your support.
uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, the story begin, as I told you, it's like unexpected. And I, I after seeing that uh, big number of followers, I started to share everything on Instagram to let people know about the situation on the ground and how things going on the ground. So the support yeah, surprised me and uh, in the same time make me happy because people are interesting in the case and in the issue and uh, they supporting the, the people of Palestine. Yeah, you said something really interesting. You said, I was just a regular guy. And I feel like all of the people who we look up to in history, like Malcolm X, you know, Kwame Ture, all of those people, they were just regular people who rose to an occasion, just like you, right? And like, it's so hard to know in the moment, like what history is going to perceive us as. But when we look back, we can always say like, oh, wow, they really stood up and delivered for their people. Yeah, this is uh, an inspiration for me. And uh, I'm not seeking to be that famous person or something like that. But uh, I, this is my duty toward my people, just to show the truth to transfer the truth to the people around the world about uh, our uh, issue and our situation here, especially in Gaza. Uh, you know how hard the situation here, spreading the word and uh, sharing the news of Gaza to, to the biggest number of the people around the world, because we, we know that the, the big TV channels and media news doesn't show you the truth as it uh, on the reality on the ground so my goal is to to let people know that how the situation on the ground a hundred percent yeah there's something really powerful in sharing the first-hand accounts of your life in real time you and I went live in May during one of the evenings of the bombings yes. and the Israeli assaults. And it taught me and everyone watching more than they could have ever learned from reading anything about Gaza. Yes. Because we were interrupted, our conversation was interrupted by the sounds of drones, by the sounds of shelling, by your house shaking, by, by just the sheer emotion of the moment. And, you know, I think very few people have ever had an experience like that in their life. But if you live in Gaza, you've not only lived that once, or twice or three times. If you're like 25 years old, you've lived it at least four times in your life. Because ever since the Israeli disengagement of Gaza, when they removed their settlers, Israel has been attacking Gaza from above and does so every few years and commits genocide every couple of years. And it does so in full impunity. There's no accountability. And 
we hear about it, we hear about the numbers of the people who are killed, the houses that are demolished, the people that are injured, but very few people know anybody in Gaza. Most people would never, you know, much less have the opportunity to actually witness what it's like to live in those circumstances. And, you know, we went live for like, what, an hour? You shared some video clips, you know, every day you were sharing video clips of what was going on, but you were living it 24 seven. And I think that the, the power that is contained in what you were able to share with the world is really what got people's attention because you can read about it in the news. It won't impact you the same way. And, you know, to know that this is your daily reality, to know that this is what your struggle is. I think is really, really powerful and has to impact you if you're paying attention. It has to impact you if you're a human being. It has to impact you if you have some some, some level of humanity in you. You can't watch that and not be changed and not, and not immediately understand what this is about. All my respect to you, Joe, because it probably, you know, it can't be easy to have to live it and then also feel that responsibility to, no, no, I have to teach people too. Like it's exhausting. Hey, one thing I will say is shout out to the Palestinian will, because I saw a photo of a barber cutting a kid's hair, like amongst the rubble. And it's like, Palestinians always have nice haircuts and nice lineups. Look at Joe's beard right now. Yeah, I know. You know what I'm saying? So your <laughs> beard, look at my beard, look at your beard. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm giving off whistleblower vibes. You look great. You look like Julian Assange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm stuck in the Ecuadorian embassy. And I'd like some help. <laughs> Send help. Uh, thank you guys so much, Allah, for your support. And by the way, your beat look great. great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, thank you. Guys. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much. <laughs> And uh, thank you, Lara, for uh, I yes I remember that day where where I uh, asked you you were uh, live on video so I asked you to host me and uh, my main uh, goal was to to show you and uh, to show your followers because you have a number of followers I think I I wasn't have followers. So my main idea and goal was to, to show the world uh, this hard night we lived through. It really was one of the most hardest night in my life. Yes, I was holding the phone and and uh, opening live video, but but uh, the fear is fear and uh, horror is horror. Uh, it was a really hard night for us. Uh, Continue was pumping. They pumped the the area where I am right now, uh, where is my uh, my aunt's house. The news uh, during this day spoke about the sixty uh, Israeli war plans. Sixteen were above the sky and were pumping uh, bombing Gaza. They bombed uh, a whole neighborhood in the north, in the north of Gaza. In addition to many, many buildings and houses, we woke up in the next day and we we see the huge damage. 
that really was a hard night. I can't forget it. Uh, but yeah, it uh, the the video or uh, get good get viral uh, spread and uh, many people watched it. I can speak until the morning about this night. It really was one of the hardest nights. Uh, the Israeli war plans want to stop bombing Gaza all the night. They they uh, launched more than. Uh, 160 airstrike and they bombed uh, the north of Gaza Strip in Betlahia and uh, in Betlahia town uh, in Al-Atatra area and uh, in uh, Sheikh Zayed area they bombed the, those area and uh, made a huge damage to the houses, to the street, to the to the buildings. And uh, I, I remember that uh, during this night, uh, maybe 30 Palestinians were killed. Most of them are uh, kids and children. Yeah, and actually that live is still available on my Instagram if people do want to go back and watch it. I mean, it's history in recorded in real time. It's on my page under Palestine Pod Live. It got 11,000 views, which is okay, but I know that there was a lot of censorship that was applied to that video, so it would have certainly had even more views if we were not dealing on top of everything with the social media censorship that we that we saw during that time. And you tell us the number of F-16s that were in the air, you you talk about the number of airstrikes, but you know, watching it and, and speaking to you, it was every couple of seconds there was an ex, there was an explosion. I mean we couldn't there were there were moments where we couldn't even I couldn't ask a question and you couldn't respond because it was every few seconds. The uh, chilling was continuous uh, during the live. Continuous, nonstop. During my live video, if you remember. Yeah. Yes, yes, nonstop. It lasted for a long time, maybe 10 minutes. Continuous pump. Can you imagine? Yeah. With the huge sounds of uh, tons, uh, that's huge sounds of rockets, contain tons of explosive material materials. So the the atmosphere was really terrified for the people. And you can't imagine how many child live in Gaza, how their psychological status was during these moments. Most of the children and most of all of the people in Gaza, all of us need the <laughs> need the uh, psychology field because what what we lived through. It's not easy. Yeah. Even even the normal days in Gaza for us consider a struggling. It's not like the normal days in in any different places around the world. Every day we woke up in Gaza. We woke up for a new a new struggle, a new challenge. Very hard, and uh, nobody will uh, will will. Nobody will feel how hard it is expect, uh, except if you lived here. If I explain, <laughs> I will not uh, like uh, I will not bring the the whole view for you about the situation. 
Yeah, because there's a lot of layers operating at the same time. It's, you know, you have the Israeli siege on one side, you have the Egyptian siege on another side. You have the fact that the people of Gaza are mostly refugees from the creation of the state of Israel. So for generations now, they have had their lives interrupted because they are mostly refugees dating back Uh, to the Nakba. Yes, exactly. They are not living in, yes, they are living in Palestine and Gaza Strip is a part of Palestine, but they are not living in their their main cities. They're not living in their ancestral homelands? Right? Can you repeat, please? (laughs) Like ancestral homeland? It means like the town or the city that your family is from, right? And it's a term that the Zionists have like stolen from Palestinians. Zionists who are from like New Jersey claim to be from Palestine from like thousands of years ago. They say it's our ancestral homeland, but it's actually your ancestral homeland. Thank you for the clarification. We're having trouble hearing you. Can you turn the, the video off and on and... And try and come back, like just because it's glitching a lot. The Zionists do this to our Zoom anytime we have <laughs> any, any, any good content. <laughs> what type of internet they got out in Gaza? What's the what's the provider? literally two G? Like the cellular network is still two G. Dang. They because the Zionists won't let them have four G or five G. And the West Bank is on 3G, but that's only because there's settlers there. Palestinians are so crafty, though. I feel like a couple of them probably got 4G, you know, <laughs> like, on the, like on the down low. You know how crafty people in Gaza are? They run the cars on cooking oil. That's what's uh, that's actually yeah. better for the environment. That's, yeah, they run cars on vegetable oil be- when there's not enough gasoline because the Zionists don't let them have all the gasoline. (laughs) Yes, I lived through this uh, phase. (laughs) It was uh, in in 2010, I think. Yeah, the car's driver are uh, uh, used the cooking oil instead of the gasoline because uh, it it was not available. And we lived through a crisis, like in Lebanon right now, there is no gasoline or benzene or solar. So the people starting to using the, the cooking oil in their cars. And like uh, when you like taking a walk and walk in the street, you you smell this odor of you, like something is cooking right now due to the uh, from the cars, <laughs> you feel you you feel like you are in the kitchen. This is a crisis. A crisis never smelled so good. <laughs> you were working as a nurse at El Shifa Hospital in May. Yes. Can you tell us what it was like to work there during the Israeli aggression on Gaza? At the same time that you're living it as as a human being, as a civilian, you also have to go to work and you have to treat the people who are wounded and obviously see a lot of really devastating images and scenes before you. So can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? 
yes, uh, I was working in Ashifa Hospital during the, the attack of May in the orthopedic department where we where we were receiving uh, the injuries uh, of the Israeli attack. The people who who having uh, injuries in their bone and in their outer skin were entering. They were entering the, our department. I will speak about uh, about my life during this uh, during this period as. Uh, we were as a civilian, as a Palestinian civilian living in Gaza. I was uh, having difficulties going to the hospital during the aggression and during the attack. I remember that uh, one day uh, my shift ended at 7 p.m. and it's time to leave the hospital, but uh, I slept in the hospital because the situation outside the hospital was scary. The, the sky full of uh, warplanes and uh, armed drones and no cars, no taxis, so I can't uh, so I can't leave the hospital and go to the home. So I, rem- I remember that I said to myself, I will sleep in the hospital. And Israeli shilling happened in a Zaytun neighborhood and the ambulances started to to arrive to the hospital with injuries and bodies. I think two two people were were come as a body as a bodies to the hospital, and we received uh, during this night about uh, five youth suffering from from different injuries in their le- lower limb and in their their arms and their injuries was hard we we finished working with them maybe at 4 a.m we were four nurses and we and about three doctors we do the necessary uh, to the injuries and uh, and provide them the medical treatment but uh, to be honest not most of them their injuries was uh, was difficult and need uh, a lot of, uh, of surgical, like plastic surgical. Those uh, youth still until this time still suffering from their uh, wounds due to the rockets used by the Israeli Israeli war plans. It's full of shrapnels that. Uh, causing a huge damage to the, to the bone and to the to the skin. The work in the hospital was really hard during the war days. Uh, to be a nurse in the hospital during the war days and the attack days is different from being a nurse during the normal days. The the work really was hard and we were we were working under pressure. We were <clears throat> every shift uh, we. For every shift, we have four nurses and maybe three doctors. The capacity of the, the department is 22 beds. So we are, we were working under pressure. And I, I remember that I was providing the medical treatment to the patient. And in the, in the, in the same time, I was recording 
I was covering the news in general about the, the attack to let people know about the, the situation in the hospital uh, and on the ground. And I will speak also about uh, the leaving, about the leaving and coming to the hospital. It really was dangerous. And I remember one day that I went uh, walking on my feet to the hospital because there was uh, cars in the street, but a few number, a few numbers of taxi cars. I was really feel scary to take one to to go to the hospital. So I walked uh, on my my feet to the hospital uh, and what make me scary that uh, during the Israeli attack on Gaza the Israeli army the drones bombed the taxi and killed five Palestinians inside it including a woman she was intending to, to visit her her daughter and bringing her some food they bombed the, the car and killed the people inside it so a taxi during the war was uh, a dangerous, dangerous, a dangerous uh, thing. So the hospital uh, nearly far away from me, about uh, four kilometers. So I remember this day I I moved to the hospital walking in, on my feet. Yeah, we we faced a lot of difficulties, but uh, you know, because we have a shortage of nurses, I. Uh, I said to myself, I will, I will go whatever it will cost me to, to go and do my duty and serve my people during these hard days. Your story is very inspiring and it's humbling at the same time. It's just my duty. So, Yeah, it's clearly not one of those jobs that you could just call out sick on anytime. Even yeah, if you wish you could. I wish if I could do more. Well, you said that the capacity of your department was 22 beds. Were there days during the assaults in May where all 22 beds are filled and you have people just all over the hospital? Yeah, the department was full, full of cases, full of injuries and all the time. We are Sometimes we transferred uh, some cases who need... Uh, like uh, intensive care and and the same time they uh, they sending us a new injury so it's always occupied even in the normal days most of the days are occupied the beds are occupied with patients some cases were transferred to other department like these cases are surgical they were putting them in medical departments because there is no no enough beds in the surgical departments this is how they we were deal with this crisis. You also mentioned how you were able to provide some level of care, but that most of the wounded that came actually needed much more intensive intervention, like plastic surgery or you know more complex surgeries. And I wonder, is it because you didn't have the equipment because of the siege? Are, are you working with a lot of restrictions in terms of equipment? Is it because you're just short-staffed in general? Is it because of the electricity, since Israel is minimizing and restricting the amount of electricity that Gaza has? What are the conditions that you're working in? Can you tell us more about that? 
the the medical condition in Gaza in general. <clears throat> let me say that we have we have a shortage in the medical supplies and equipment in general, and also we have a shortage in the specialized doctors in some in some type of surgeries during and after the attack on Gaza. The Ministry of Health uh, transferred many many patients to get medical uh, treatment in Egypt and in the West Bank hospitals to get the needed medical uh, care because you know some as I told you that some equipments and some surgical tools not available here and some and also special specialized doctors maybe not available in some. Uh, in some section. When you say that the equipment is not available, is it not available because Israel doesn't allow it inside? Yeah, may, um, I think uh, the, the Israeli siege is the main reason in uh, the shortage of, of many, of many equip, equipments and, uh, and because they are controlling the crossing and what to pass, what to not what to enter, what to not enter. So they are controlling everything. And uh, I think the, the main reason is uh, the siege and the occupation and the closure of the, cro- of the crossing. You know, many governments maybe try to send equipment and try to, to, to send some medical uh, tools and supplies, but the, the crossing were the main problem because it's controlled by the Israeli side. The siege is the main reason uh, uh, in the shortage of the equipment. Also, th- uh, some, uh, some uh, medical organizations are uh, sent, uh, they sent some uh, specialized doctor after the attack to help in that the, the treatment of the, the injuries and this is uh, a good thing that's maybe help, help relieve the pain of those injuries. I want to talk a little bit about how Israel targeted many of the doctors in Gaza during the May assaults. They also targeted the roads leading to Al Shifa Hospital that, that were you know they bombed. They targeted the offices of the Palestine Children's Relief Fund in Gaza. They targeted the offices of Médecins Sans Frontières Doctors Without Borders, which were also partially destroyed. A lot of the health infrastructure in Gaza was damaged intentionally by the Israeli warplanes. And several doctors, including some of your colleagues, were actually killed while they were at home with their families. And all of those things are war crimes. Like, I just want to make that clear, because, I mean, we talk about it so often, we sort of get desensitized, but literally everything that you just said is a war crime. Yes. And they did all of those things. Yeah. Yes, it's really a war crime that committed by the those Zionist Israeli against the Palestinian in general. They they are, doesn't uh, this quench uh, they they have no difference between uh, between uh, doctors, nurses, normal person, uh, a guy uh, in the resistance. 
working in the resistance faction everyone is targeted here and yes i remember during the day uh, of targeting al-wahda street which which is lead to the shifa hospital one it's one of the main road in gaza strip and every day i am i'm walking in this street i will pass by the car <sighs> this street really was uh, damaged a lot and uh, Many houses destroyed. You know, I'm I'm like every day passing there. You can and uh, looking by a sad eyes about what happened to this street after this bomb and uh, attack. The street is really was like a dyna- dynamic, and we cannot forget also that the whole families who was wiped uh, in this street. We talking about fifty, maybe Palestinian were killed in, in their houses during this night of bombing Al Wahda Street, while they are sleeping safely in their houses. Uh, among them, two doctors in Shifa Hospital, including Doctor Abu Alouf, one of the, the beloved doctors in Gaza who was working in the medical reception in a Shifa Hospital. He was with his family sleeping safely, and uh, suddenly they targeted uh, the, their houses and killed them in cold blood. Also, the we we are talking about uh, medical uh, uh, doctors without borders building. It was really part. It's really good damaged, and I saw it and I recorded it uh, and I shared it on my story and. Uh, I recorded the damage in the street. I I remember these days uh, after the bomb and during the the morning of the second day of the attack. I went to the street and took uh, videos to the street and the the damage there and recorded. I I recorded it and shared it to let people know about the the, the size of crime committed there. We can't forget these days. It really was a hard day. They killed many, many Palestinian. Whole families were 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 like uh, removed of the civilian record. Now, I don't know what those those families could done or committed to the to the to the Israeli occupation forces. Why why they did that? We bombed the the PCRF. Building, uh, which is related to the, to the Palestinian Child Relief Organization, and destroyed it. It is a medical uh, medical uh, building. You don't know what the re- what the reason behind. It. So they are doesn't disconnected between any between any building. Uh, everything is targeted. And this is is how is how the Israeli dealing with the Palestinian. They are the the only thing they are good at is the killing and destroying of the Palestinian lives. Just to emphasize a little bit what you've told us here about the Al Wahda Street massacre, it took place on May 16th, 2021, and Al Wahda Street is a very densely populated street in one of the most prominent neighborhoods in in Gaza. It's a residential neighborhood. It's a commercial neighborhood. It's actually in Rimal, right? It's the Rimal district. Yes. Yeah. One of the most dynamic area in Gaza Strip. 
it's contained shops and bakeries and restaurants and in addition to the closed shops where people were people visiting these shops to buy their stuff unfortunately israel bombed it and destroyed the building there exactly as you said it's the main road leading to al shifa hospital and it also contains a lot of buildings malls banks schools restaurants you also mentioned that somewhere around 50 palestinians were killed including entire families that were wiped off the civilian registry and one of them was the family yes. of a doctor who was a colleague of yours what's interesting is that in response to this massacre the israeli occupation army said that it was a freak incident and that they did not expect that there would be this level of casualties they also provided absolutely no warning to the palestinian families that were living on that street so actually they were all sleeping in their homes and didn't know that they needed to run right but of course the question is run to where there's nowhere to run to but they were given no advance warning and the attack took place shortly after midnight the israeli warplanes carried out a series of more than 150 airstrikes on that night in that neighborhood and on that street and so of course the number of palestinians who were murdered was very high including entire buildings that contained entire families and it's being referred to as the al wahda street massacre it's certainly one of the most devastating days of the may assaults does anyone believe that's an accident like no. for real for real <laughs> How is it possible that they're like okay we made these bombs right yeah. we we dropped these bombs but we had no idea people would die as a result big whoopsies you know how it is That's exactly like, what they said they actually used the word a freak consequence of a bombing run targeting tunnels under the street it's not a freak consequence it's exactly what you would expect to happen They have like laser precision technology. They can direct exactly where they want rockets to go to like the meter. You know what I mean? Who believes that they yes. did this by accident? Yes, exactly. If they need someone who who's sleeping in in his room, they will send him a single rocket inside his room. So every everything is they are knowing everything where it's going. Uh, they they targeting this intentionally and knowing that there are people sleeping safely in their houses so there is no justification for their crimes at all and those people uh, who who died and killed during this night the, the world must uh, like uh, giving them justice to the court international court to take an to take an action to to bring justice to those people and uh, as i mentioned that uh, there are no justification uh, accepted for these uh, crimes against the people who were sleeping safely in their houses it really was one of the the, the saddest the the sad nights for the people of Gaza. Joe, were you working that night? Uh, no, I was off after working 24 hours in, in the department, so I was off. But uh, we 
uh, I hear I heard the the pumping sounds clearly from my house, even it's far away, like five kilometers or four or four kilometers. But it really was a heavy shilling that make you like uh, jump from your bed during the night due to the heavy sounds of this pump. I in the second day during the morning after the the ending of the pump. I visited the, the the place and recorded everything and I shared it in my story. I also went to the hospital to see how the situation uh, going on there during the morning and they were uh, like uh, bringing people from under the rubble and every we can say every few minutes they bring in a new body to the, the hospital. We are talking about a large building were were destroyed completely. And we don't have here an advanced material or uh, to to remove the rubbles. Uh, ambulance and civilian worker workers were uh, were working manually to remove the bodies from under the rubble. We don't have uh, advanced equipment, you know, to remove this rubble. So they facing a lot of difficulties to to bring the people out of this trouble. Maybe some people were alive and the trouble, and because of the weak process of bringing this body out of the, of the rubble, they died. I went to the hospital when I visited the street to see how the things going in the hospital. And as I told you, they were bringing bodies to the hospital from under the rubble because the, the the building are away like 300 meters just from the from the hospital. So people were removing bodies from the rubble by hand is what you're saying because you didn't have any advanced machinery that comes in because of the siege in Gaza? Yes, exactly. Wow. We have we have some equipment but not not that advanced equipment, okay? It doesn't help in such a situation. You need some 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 advanced equipment to remove, to remove the rubble uh, quickly and save those people lives. And this this leads to the to the this maybe of some lives people who were under the rubble due to the delay in in the extracting the process of those people and removing them and uh, bringing them out of these rubbles. Due to the siege, let's speak about the siege, that the cars 4 by 4 is not allowed to enter Gaza from the Israeli side. Well, I don't know why. Is this dangerous for them to have a 4 by 4 car or jeep? Yeah, this is a simple example. Yeah, let's talk about it in its, in its totality, right? So they destroy something with a rocket they, let's let's back it up right they they obviously they ethnically cleanse people from their homes concentrate them in ghettos target them with advanced military technology and then stop any sort of relief effort from coming in because of the siege right did that come through can you just repeat the last thing it was like a little summary of like everything in totality. So they started in 48 by ethnically cleansing everyone, right? They concentrated everybody in Gaza 
and then put Gaza under siege so that people couldn't have access to things from the outside world. Then they bomb Gaza while it's under siege, right? And Gaza is unable to provide adequate medical relief because of the siege from the outside world. So it's like full-scale genocide. Yes, 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 yes. All the, the, the suffering, all the daily suffering we are living through and all uh, the hardship we are, we are facing every day in our life is, is the responsibility of the Israeli occupation. They are make us uh, reach a reach a phase in life. Just all all we all we asking for is to have a job or to find our uh, daily food. They want to make us forget about our kids, and they they just want us to to search for the basic. For the basic things, they make us suffering all the time to just like make us think about these basic things like food, job, how to get job, how to offer food to my kids in, in this day and in the next day. All these pressure and uh, siege on us just to to make us forget about the the main care, the main cause and the main issue which is Palestine and the freedom and they made the, they make the, the the dream of the people here and of the youth here just to get job the basic uh, things in life for people in Gaza just make a dreams for them the phases we we reaching now it is due to the siege imposed by the Israeli occupation <clears throat> they ruined our life and they transferred our life to the like to like a hell it's not a it's not a life it's nearly impossible to think about liberation and struggle and resistance when you have to figure out like how you're going to feed yourself every day it's almost impossible and that's the point it's a strategy yes exactly yes yeah there's a parallel to the united states right the black liberation movement was defanged. They assassinated all of the leaders. They imprisoned anybody else who they couldn't assassinate. And then, you know, they put people in a situation where you're just struggling to get by. So how are you going to liberate yourself when you are just struggling to get by? Yeah, exactly. This is the, the missile followed by the Israeli occupation forces against the people of Gaza. They are like deprived you from the bed on the basic things to prevent you from thinking about uh, other other things which is uh, the major things we we all should think about it the, is the the freedom and the liberation of palestine so they are using these methods as you mentioned just to make you forget uh, about the main and the major cause yeah, you don't so have the capacity. No... You don't have the capacity to create because you're just trying to provide for yeah. what you need to survive. Yes, exactly. Imagine you are you just walking up for no electricity and you have to wait eight, eight hours to come. You can work during these eight hours finishing everything. Then it will be off. And uh, yeah, the circle is continuous. 
So we like uh, just thinking about uh, how to offer these things, and uh, then when we will find the space to to be creative in other things. Just to wrap it up, what do you wish the world knew about? being Palestinian. The world have to know that all the Palestinians are people who loving life and loving to live in peace as as the rest of the world. It's our right. Our life is stolen as our land by the Israeli occupation. And in the same time they they should know that every Palestinian is struggling and suffering every day. Uh, under this occupation. Guys, that has been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Go ahead and send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com and check all of our sources at www.palestinepod.com. That has been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. You're not making love to the microphone today. No, I've learned to give it some space. (laughs) You know, we're going through a little bit of a (laughs) breakup. A little bit of a rough patch. (laughs) Yeah, it's but we still have to work together, you know? It's classic, (laughs) classic Uh, romance. Yeah, no, you're good on audio. As long as the microphone is close to your face, you're fine. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, you're gonna have to talk like you're on a secret mission the whole time. I'm so sorry, uh, Lara. Do you hear me? Yeah, خلي خلي هون like خلي لازم You gotta eat the mic. It's the opposite. Yes. Of, you know what I mean? I usually I usually keep the mic way too close to my face, so I've been I've been keeping it at a distance. But you gotta full on eat that yes. bad boy. <laughs>